This is Nutshell Politics, a show where we discuss what you need to know about current events, international relations, political conflict, and my favorite topic of discussion, terrorism. The mainstream media isn't always the best at reporting on international events. They often lack depth, context, and understanding, a problem unfortunately driven by ratings. But here, on Nutshell Politics, I seek to fill those gaps, and most importantly, to make sure you know what's actually going on out there. So let's dive in. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Nutshell Politics. I am your charming host, Justin Kenny, and I am looking forward to today's episode with you guys. So today we're going to be talking about an interesting story that's been in the news uh, just recently, although if you've been paying attention, it's actually been taking place for the last couple of years. And it's one that kind of combines two of my favorite topics, uh, politics and basketball. And this is the story of a basketball player for the New York Knicks named Enos Cantor. And we're going to talk about why Enos Cantor was recently accused of being a terrorist and had a warrant out for his arrest in his native country of Turkey. And so this is kind of a, a pretty fascinating story, and it goes back a long, long way. But before we do that, let's talk about just a little bit about who Enos Cantor is and kind of where he comes from. Enos Cantor is a professional basketball player. He plays for the New York Knicks uh, in the NBA, and he is a center for them. So he's big guy. I think he's like 6'11 or something, almost 7 feet tall. But he is originally from the country of Turkey. Now, he was not born in Turkey. He was born in Switzerland. Uh, his father was getting a doctorate degree from the University of Zurich. But his father is now currently a professor of histology at Trakia University in Turkey. And so he is actually a, a Turkish national. And he played, actually, professional basketball for a kind of a youth squad in Turkey back in the 2008-2009 season. Played in like eight or nine games. He was kind of a, a seldom-used reserve on this youth league. But then he decided he wanted to play college basketball in the United States. Actually, high school basketball, too. He moved to the United States in 2009 and played for a high school preparatory school in California. And this school, he played basketball for them. He also played at the 2010 Nike Hoop Summit, played for the international team, and just completely balled out. He actually set a record for the event for total number of points, breaking the, the legend Dirk Nowitzki's record. And he was actually rated as a five-star prospect, which is the highest rating you can get coming out of high school, going to college. And he committed to play originally for the Washington Huskies, eventually reopened his recruitment and joined the Kentucky Wildcats. Now, the reason I mentioned his play with that youth squad back in Turkey is that that youth squad actually gave him uh, $33,000 in benefits to play for that team. And this actually ended up making him permanently in ineligible to play in college at all. So even though he officially signed to play for Kentucky, he never actually saw the court because it was upheld by the NCAA that he was ruled permanently ineligible to, due to his time spent with that youth team back in, in Turkey. Now, his professional career started in Utah. He joined the Utah Jazz in the 2011 NBA draft. And he played for them for several years, broke a couple records with them in terms of the most rebounds for a rookie. He averaged something like four points or five points and four rebounds. So nothing spectacular, but has kind of developed over the years into a very steady player. Not the type of player who's ever going to make an all-star game, but he you know, is very, very steady, kind of 12 points, seven boards, that type of thing. For Utah, then moved to Oklahoma City, played for them for several years and then recently joined the New York Knicks in 2017. 
Now, he's also played along the way for the Turkish national basketball team. Back in 08, he played for the Under-16 championship and just utterly dominated. He actually earned the MVP in the 2009 FIBA Under-18 championship. He played with the senior team at uh, 2011 Eurobasket, which is another big tournament. But in recent years, his relationship with Turkey has really soured. And in particular, he was left off the team's roster for Eurobasket 2015, which is probably one of the first signs that something was going wrong with, between him and his home country. And so this is where it kind of leads into what's going on today and how this plays into politics. Because just recently, in the last couple of weeks, Turkey has actually issued an international arrest warrant for Enes Kanter. And they're essentially accusing him, he's, he's now 26 years old, I should mention too, they're accusing him of having links to armed groups and terrorists who were behind the 2006 coup that took place trying to overthrow er Erdogan in Turkey. Now, if you've been following this podcast for a while, you know I did a whole episode on Erdogan in Turkey a while back, probably a couple months or so now, where we talk about how Recep Tayyip Erdogan, the Turkish president, has kind of been moving closer and closer to an authoritarian regime in Turkey. And so Cantor has spoken out about this in the past as well. Uh, he actually referred to Erdogan as a dictator at one point, but he has recently come under, under fire for his connection to a particular individual, uh, a man by the name of Fethullah Gulen. Now, the, Gulen is a uh, cleric, and by the way, I am not 100% sure I'm actually even pronouncing that right. My apologies if I'm not, but uh, Gulen is a cleric who is living in exile from Turkey. He's actually living in Pennsylvania, of all places. Uh, but the Turkish government believes that Gulen was behind this 2016 coup to overthrow Erdogan. And so they've accused Cantor of being a part of this terrorist group along with Gulen. And in 2015, as I said, he was left off the basketball team, uh, the national basketball team, because of this. And in uh, 2017, they actually ended up revoking Cantor's passport. And just, as I said, in the last couple of weeks, they've accused him now of being a part of this group and issued this international arrest warrant for him. So to an extent, Cantor has now become like a, a fugitive from Turkey. And so I wanted to touch on a little bit today about who Gulen is, why Turkey considers him a terrorist, and really kind of what the legitimacy of these claims are. Uh, but this has actually really hurt Cantor, even professionally in, in playing basketball. Personally, he actually hasn't spoken to his parents since 2015 because he's considered an enemy of the government. Uh, so his, da his dad can't even go grocery shopping, he, he claims, because he gets uh, attacked or verbally assaulted and these sorts of things. And uh, just recently, too, on a kind of a professional front, the New York Knicks actually went and played a game in London. And this is part of the NBA has this kind of ongoing push to try to globalize the game. So they played this game in London and Cantor elected to skip the game. He believes that he's not safe going to London. He actually uh, claims that if he goes to London, there's a decent chance that he'll be assassinated. He thinks that Turkey has kind of a very long reach and they would be willing to go through and carry out an assassination on him if he left the United States. And so he actually skipped this game and it's been very interesting. Uh, and so let's let's start back up a little bit and talk about who Gulen is and kind of why Cantor has been on the hit list of Turkey for a little while. So Gulen is the, he's a former citizen of Turkey, again, now living in the United States in Pennsylvania. He is a religious scholar and preacher. He used to actually be a, a Muslim imam. Uh, he's also been a, a dissident of the Turkish government for a long time. 
And one of his big pushes is that he believes that Muslims, devout Muslims within Muslim countries, should be more and more participatory in political life. And he's been a, a he's really pushed things like civil society, religious tolerance, um, building social networks, promoting education. He basically says that Erdogan has backtracked on some of his promises and has become quite a dissident of Erdogan himself. And it's interesting because this didn't used to be the case. Gulen and his movement were actually aligned with Erdogan if you go back to like 2012 and, and before that. And this alliance, though, was pretty much destroyed between Gulen and his followers and Erdogan because there was a, an investigation in Turkey that revealed a ton of corruption. And Erdogan accused Gulen of being behind a lot of these investigations. And so Gulen fled the country. Uh, they have revoked his citizenship, so he is officially stateless. He doesn't have uh, any citizenship in any country. And the U.S. has basically argued against Turkey, saying that Gulen has really no association with terrorist activity. Uh, they've asked for evidence from the Turkish government to substantiate any of their allegations. But uh, Turkey has not provided this as well. Now, one of the big things about Gulen is that he has been promoting a particular brand of Islam that is very tolerant and emphasizes things like altruism, hard work, and education. And so because of this, he has spoken out quite frequently uh, against Erdogan and the corruption that he sees there. He believes that the Democrat, he actually, I'll give you a quote here. He says, the Turkish people are, are upset that in the last two years, democratic progress is now being reversed. And when there was a coup in July of 2016, the Turkish government publicly stated that this coup attempt had been organized by Gulen and his movement. And so they have called for his extradition back to back to Turkey and believe that he should be put on trial there. Now, Gulen has denied any sort of involvement in this coup, and he actually denounced the coup publicly at one point as well, but Turkey has not bought this argument. And it's thought that Turkey has really come out strongly against him because of his influence uh, globally. He actually has a fair amount of influence among the Muslim population around the world, but also because he's been very critical of Erdogan specifically and this kind of movement away from democracy. Now, Gulen, too, has also engendered kind of a reputation for being very much about interfaith dialogue. And this has led to some disagreements, I should say, maybe a little stronger than disagreements, between him and others within Islam. Uh, in particular, he believes that, that there should be a lot of interreligious tolerance, uh, interfaith dialogue between different world leaders of different faiths. Uh, he's actually personally met with leaders of other religions. He, he met with Pope John Paul II uh, back in the late 90s. He met with the ecumenical patriarch Bartholomew I of Constantinople. Uh, his title is this archbishop or ecumenical patriarch, but he's essentially kind of like the Pope of the Eastern Orthodox Church. Uh, he's also met with a head, the head rabbi of one of the Israeli Jewish sects as well. And so he believes that there should be a lot more collaboration and cooperation between followers of different religions, as well as between, like, say, the religious part of society and secular parts of society, too. And kind of in concordance with this, he has been very sympathetic towards a minority group within Turkey called the, the Alevis. And Alevism is this kind of heterodox, uh, very local spin on Islamic tradition, but it's much more about 
a, a mystical element. You know, they follow the, the teachings of Ali, and so there's a lot more of a mystical side to this. It's not really considered part of Islam by most other Muslims. It's kind of a heterodox tradition. But he has been very sympathetic towards them, claiming they, they enrich Turkish culture and wanting to publicly recognize their temples, essentially they're called Semevis, as official places of worship and supporting better relationships between the Sunni population of Turkey and the Alevis as well. But because he has so much influence, uh, Turkey has really taken exception to him and they have uh, really come at, at him pretty strong. And so the movement that he has inspired, that's kind of professing, you know, universal access to education, civil society, peace, this huge social movement, Islamic democracy, uh, interfaith dialogue, all of these things have really become a movement across the world, primarily within Turkey, but also within the United States where he currently lives, and you'll find it in many other places around the world. But because of the challenges that this poses to a lot of the current ruling parties in many Islamic countries, uh, he's actually been uh, sorry, the movement has actually been designated as a terrorist organization by a couple different countries, Turkey, Northern Cyprus, Pakistan, and a couple other organizations as well, including the OIC, which is the Organization of Islamic Cooperation, and the GCC, which is the Gulf Cooperation Council. Or Well, well it's now, now called the Cooperation Council for the Arab States of the Gulf, but um, that would be think, countries like Bahrain, Kuwait, Oman, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, these type of things. Now, let's move back and get to Cantor. So why is Cantor so connected to Gulen? So since immigrating to the United States, remember he came here back in high school, he has become kind of a supporter of Fethullah Gulen. Due to this, he has actually lost support of his family. His family publicly disowned him at one point. And over the years, Enos Cantor has become very outspoken in terms of criticizing Erdogan himself. Uh, in particular, he speaks out against Turkey's human rights record. Uh, he believes that Turkey has engaged in some pretty terrible things. And he has publicly called, I actually believe he called Erdogan the Hitler of this century. Uh, so he has been very outspoken in criticize, criticizing Erdogan specifically. It's actually been argued that he has even provided financial support to this uh, cleric Gulen as well. Now, because of his very vocal views against Erdogan, the leader of Turkey, his family has actually suffered in this as well. So it's actually thought that maybe when his family disowned him, it was more about their own uh, safety as well, because they still live in Turkey. And his father has been repeatedly indicted. Uh, he actually lost his position at the university for a little while. And many others associated with Cantor, friends, and the other family members have faced various forms of punishment as well. And Cantor, to this point, has actually essentially considered Gulen to be sort of an adoptive father of him. He sees uh, this cleric Gulen about every two to three weeks during the NBA season. He was actually, he admits he was with Gulen on the night of that 2016 coup and believes that uh, Gulen could not have possibly orchestrated the plot. So he has been very open in denying the allegations by, by Turkey. And he's been asked many times over the years, you know, is this worth it, being so vocally outspoken about your political views? And I'm going to give you a quote here. He says, everybody asks me, are you crazy? Is it worth it? I play in the NBA and I have a platform, so I'm using this platform for all these innocent people. In the end, I'm a basketball player. I'm not a politician. I'm not a journalist. Some of these words I use, I have never used them before in my life. But I have to do this for all the innocent people and the journalists that are in jail. And that last part, I think, is really fascinating because he mentions this idea of journalists being in jail. 
And he's referencing here the idea that the government has really cracked down recently on civil liberties, on treating some of the, the journalists who try to go out there and put out some of the truth about what's going on in government, and they've actually thrown a lot of journalists in jail. And so they've really consolidated power pretty extensively. And if you want more details on this, please go back and listen to my other podcast. I do this a lot more detail on what's going on in Turkey right now. But Cantor has been very outspoken against some of these what he thinks are human rights abuses. And so what's happened recently is this has really escalated. And as he has used words, he, he's called Erdogan a dictator. Again, he called him the Hitler of the century. He called him a lunatic at one point as well. And so Cantor recently had this international arrest warrant put out against him. And they're seeking his extradition as well. They want him brought back to Turkey and tried in his home country for being a part of this Gulen movement that is essentially a group of dissidents and that they believe are behind this coup. Now, Cantor recently, as I mentioned, had a basketball game in London with the New York Knicks, and he decided he was not going to travel there. Now, this basketball game took place just a few days ago on uh, January 17th. They played Washington Wizards. Again, it's part of this NBA push to be more global with the game of basketball. But Cantor was quoted as saying, Turkey has got a lot of spies there. I can get killed very easily. That will be a very ugly situation. And he said, he's talking about being in Britain. He says, I could easily be kidnapped or killed by Turkish agents. Erdogan's arms are long. He hunts down anyone who opposes him. In 2017, his security team, or thugs, even beat up peaceful protesters outside the Turkish ambassador's residence in Washington. Uh, now, that's actually a true story. That did happen. Uh, it was actually part of the news for a little while that some of the Turkish security team beat up protesters outside of their embassy. In, in Washington, D.C. And so Cantor sees that happening and Erdogan essentially not getting any trouble for that as being evidence of his long arms, as, as he mentions. And he believes that anybody who speaks out against Erdogan is a target. And so despite all of this, Cantor does remain an open supporter of Gulen. Now, this has actually become kind of a, a fascinating story, even within the NBA, as the NBA has been very supportive of Cantor and they're taking his claims very, very seriously. But there's actually a former NBA player, a man by the name of Hito Turkoglu. Uh, if you don't, I don't know if you guys remember watching him play years ago. He used to play for the Orlando Magic, among a couple other teams, I believed. But he has been an advisor to Erdogan. He's also Turkish uh, since 2016. And there's actually been some a bit of a public spat between Turkoglu, who is kind of pro-Erdogan, and Cantor. And... Uh, Turkoglu called Cantor's comments against Erdogan a smear campaign. Cantor responds that Turkoglu is uh, Erdogan's lapdog, etc. And so this has actually become kind of a spat even among the NBA community with a couple Turkish players as well. Now, there was an interview that Cantor did with Time Magazine that I thought was really interesting. I'm going to read a few of these quotes. So he basically says that if he steps outside of America, he believes his life will be in danger. He does feel safe here, uh, he argues, but even here, he talks about how, you know, even if he goes to a supermarket, you know, he has somebody with him at all times, grocery shopping, practice, going to games, going to, you know, Broadway play or something. He lives in New York, remember? He always has someone with him because he, he says the only place that he goes alone is the bathroom. Uh, he says one of those crazy Erdogan supporters will do something, you know, some lone wolf or something like that. So even here in America, he always goes places with someone else, a member of his team security or something like that. And he, he believes that if he does get extradited, that it's going to be 
in his words, very ugly man. Uh, I don't know if they can kill me because there will be so much pressure on him, but there have been lots of reports out there that they torture people in jails. So they will definitely torture me very, very bad. Now, as part of this interview with Time Magazine, he actually gives a brief paragraph about what, he, what his main criticisms of Erdogan have been. And I want to read this paragraph because I think it really kind of hits at a lot of things that I've talked about here on this podcast, but also you might see in the news. I think it also highlights some of the problems within Turkey over the last few years as well. So let me just read. This is an exact quote from uh, from Cantor. So he says, Erdogan is an authoritarian leader who jails journalists and the opposition. He's an anti-American leader who keeps American citizens as hostages, like Mr. Brunson, the pastor. Uh, pause for a second here. If you guys remember, there was a Christian pastor named Brunson who was in jail in Turkey under claims that he was part of this coup as well. Recently, Trump got him released and brought back to the United States, but that's who Cantor is referencing here. All right, back to the quote. Uh, Erdogan violates human rights. About 17,000 innocent women and about 700 babies have been kept in jail with no due process. So he uses his power to abuse human rights. If you look at it right now, Turkey is the number one country in the world for putting the most journalists into jail after the coup attempt. I'm going to pause again. That's also true. Uh, Turkey is the number one country in the world right now for locking journalists up. Uh, back to the quote. That shows there's no freedom of speech in Turkey. Don't get me wrong. I love my country. I love my flag. I love my people. Turkey could be the bridge between modern Islam and the West. But now that all this stuff is happening in Turkey, that's impossible. End quote. Now, Cantor has faced a lot of problems because of his stances on this. As I mentioned, his family has been under attack. His father faces criminal charges. He's been accused of being tied to this terrorist group as well. And he hasn't actually seen his family since 2015. He's actually claimed that he has kind of forgotten what they sound like. Um, he's forgetting what they look like. It's been very hard to communicate with them. The Turkish police have basically raided his family's house and took away any sort of electronics that would allow them to communicate, computers and those sorts of things. No text messages, even, even a single text, he claims that his whole family will be thrown in jail. Uh, he's actually talked about trying to reach out to Donald Trump as well to get some of his thoughts on what's going on and to offer some of his, his support and some ideas about how to go forward. He's actually trying to urge Trump to, to act on Turkey's kind of pretty terrible human rights record. Now, again, I want to encourage you guys to check out that other episode of the podcast if you want to go in a little more detail on what's going on in Turkey. But just a few statistics of what's happened since the coup attempt in 2016. Uh, Turkish authorities jailed something like 77,000 people. They also dismissed over 150,000 state employees, which included things like judges, teachers, professors, others in academia, anyone that was potentially deemed a threat, or any, anybody who was even alleged to be a supporter of Gulen and his network. And just last year, Amnesty International, which is a big organization that helps keep an eye on things like this, says that it has evidence that some of those who were detained since that coup have been subjected to beatings and torture as well. So there is some evidence here to support what Cantor is saying. So let's talk a little bit then about the legitimacy of these claims by Turkey, because as you probably have guessed from what I've said, I, I don't really feel there's a ton, of, ton to them. It is true 100% that Cantor is supportive of this cleric, Gulen. Uh, they are friends. Again, he considers him kind of an adoptive father. I don't know if it's true that he's provided financial support or not, but there is definitely that connection there. It's also definitely true that there was a coup attempt in Turkey in 2016. 
And so those arguments by Turkey are true. The connection to Gulen, the coup happening, but anything beyond that is pretty spotty. Uh, there's not a whole lot of evidence from my perspective anyway that Gulen was, was associated with this coup. Even if some of his supporters were involved in it, it doesn't appear that he was. And there's really no evidence that I can see that Cantor was either. And Cantor is right on a lot of these claims against the government. He is right for being a dissident. He criticizes Turkey for a lot of very legitimate reasons. You know, Turkey is the number one country in the world for jailing journalists. They have a very abysmal human rights record. There is evidence they're engaging in torture against journalists, against professors, against academics. They have locked away tens of thousands of people without much in the way of evidence. And they do have a history of being very thuggish. As I mentioned, that 2017 issue outside of the Turkish ambassador's residence in Washington, D.C., they were beating up peaceful protesters. You know, all of these things are very true. There was a massive purge where they fired a bunch of people in Turkey. Their free speech is at a is, is it at risk right now. And so there is a lot of truth in Cantor's statements. Uh, he actually talks about, he wrote a, a um, like an op-ed, a commentary, and he says, you know, one of the scariest days of my life was May 20th, 2017. It was the day I realized I was being hunted by Erdogan. I was in Indonesia to run a children's basketball camp for my charity. And I was awakened in the middle of the night by knocking on my door. The manager said the Indonesian police were searching for me because the Turkish government had told them I was dangerous. We rushed to the airport and got on the next flight out of the country. We flew from Indonesia to Singapore and then to Romania. At some point after we left Singapore, the Turkish government canceled my passport. Police at the airport in Bucharest told me I wasn't allowed to enter the country. I didn't need anyone to tell me why this was happening. I was being detained because of what I've been saying about Erdogan. I was worried they were going to send me back to Turkey. I was concerned because I had to get back to the United States without a passport. Now, he did ultimately get back to the U.S. Obviously, he's in the U.S. now. But there is a lot of truth in a lot of these claims and criticisms that he has been levying against Turkey, but also against Erdogan. So I have some real concerns that what Turkey is saying about him probably is not true. As I mentioned, there is this connection to Gulen. Gulen has posed a bit of a threat, not physically, though, but from like an ideological perspective. Uh, he is challenging a lot of the ruling ideology of Turkey. And so I can understand why Turkey sees him as a threat. If Gulen's ideas are put into play, that would put at risk a lot of people in government of losing their jobs. Again, this is not a violent thing, but they are moving much more towards an authoritarian regime, massive corruption, and lack of, uh, loss, I should say, of things like freedom of speech, freedom of the press, freedom of journalism, all these things. And so if Gulen's movement succeeds, you know, Erdogan loses power, as do most of those in his inner circle, probably all of them, to be honest. And so Cantor is at risk here. Uh, he's been getting death threats. Uh, he, he claims that he gets hundreds a day of this, but he has basically said that he doesn't regret using his platform. He's trying to be a voice for all these innocent people in Turkey who don't have the voice that he does. And he's using his platform to speak out on political issues. And so all of this has come to a head just recently with this international arrest warrant. They've put him on the red alert. They've asked Interpol to stop him, to arrest him as well. But if you're not familiar, Interpol is kind of like an international police force, more or less. And it's quite possible that if this continues, he may never see his family again. Uh, he says, he's, as I said, he's forgotten what his parents' voices sound like, what they look like. He can't talk to them. He can't text them. He can't email them. Zero connection to them. 
and it's become kind of a, a sad story, but unfortunately, as long as President Erdogan is in power, and again, I use the word president loosely because he's kind of moved away from being a, a democratic president, as long as Erdogan is in power, it's unlikely that Cantor will ever be allowed back into Turkey. It's unlikely he's going to be willing to go back because he'd be afraid for his life. And it's quite possible he will never see his family again. And so this is going to be a pretty fascinating story, uh, one that's sad, but also really interesting as we see kind of a confluence of sports and politics and really connecting some pretty disparate parts of the world uh, as we now have an NBA player accused of being a terrorist. But with that, we're going to go ahead and shut things down. I think we're just about out of time today. I hope this was interesting for everybody. I, it's really interesting to me. Uh, I don't know a ton about Cantor personally. I did some research for this podcast. I think he's a, kind of a very interesting person. And I'll definitely be praying for his safety uh, as he speaks out for a lot of the people in Turkey who don't have this voice for themselves. And it'll be really interesting to see if this has any sort of political ramifications going forward with the United States' relationship with Turkey and Erdogan. Uh, Trump and Erdogan have spoken multiple times over the years, so there is a connection there. It'll be really interesting to see how this affects that. And so I hope you guys all keep an eye on this as well. And again, pray for Cantor, pray for this situation. And I'll keep you all updated if there is any new information that comes to light in the next you know weeks to months, if, there, if there's any new developments on the situation. Uh, but with that, we're going to go ahead and shut things down. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Justin R underscore Kenny. Find me, follow me there. I'll be happy to continue this conversation or any other. You can also find me on Facebook at J. Robert Kinney. It's the name I write fiction novels under. You can check out my books on Amazon. I got two out. There's Precipice and Splintered State. Both of them are available on Amazon right now for purchase. Go check those out. If you're interested in supporting me, supporting this podcast, or advertising on the podcast alongside Flipboard, please contact me. I'll be happy to talk with you more about that possibility. But with that, I think we are about out of time. So this is Nutshell Politics. My name is Justin Kinney, and I am out in three, two one.